As we continue upstairs, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 18 today. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus covers a lot of territory, um, a lot of significant things to our life and faith, and particularly as, as we get into these next, there's three weeks until Lent, and the, over the next three weeks, we're going to be spending time in preparation for the season of Lent. So even though Lent is itself a season of repentance and hope, it is a season of preparation, um, we're actually going to do some preparing before the season of preparing. And here's why. Oftentimes when we get into Lent is when we talk about prayer or fasting or different spiritual disciplines to take on, and then it seems kind of too little too late, uh, like, well, we're already into Lent, and so maybe we get into the mindset of, you know what, that's a great idea, and next year I'll do that for Lent, and then we might miss out on what we could do this year. And so this year, for three weeks, we're just spending some time in, how do we do Lent well? How do we start Lent, which begins on Ash Wednesday, March 6th, as a time of preparation to celebrate Easter in its fullness? And so we'll spend some time today in the Sermon on the Mount, then next week in 1 Timothy, and the following week in the Psalms as we consider how to Lent, how do we do Lent well? But as we turn our attention to God's Word, to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, let's pray together. God, may your word, your scriptures, be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our guide and our teacher, illumining the words to us. And Jesus, may you be our primary, our highest, our utmost concern, how to live to be more like you, how to love more like you, how to put your kingdom first in all that we say, in all that we think, in all that we do that just as we shared that blessing, that God, you may be in our thinking, in our speaking, and in our loving. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets, as the the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. (coughs) This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Does anyone here love hypocrites? Now, 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 instantly, that becomes a tricky question in church, right? Because if we were anywhere else and we were asked, do you love hypocrites? You'd be like, no, hypocrites are terrible. But because of the setting, the context that, that we're in church, we might go down a couple different mind games in our head to make sure that we answer this correctly. One, we could remind ourselves that we are in church, we are people of grace and love, and that we do show unconditional love to all people. And so then, even if those people are hypocrites, the answer would be, well... Yes, we should love hypocrites. Even if they're hypocrites, it's not an option to love them. Okay, so that's one potential yes, but no one wants to be the first one to raise their hand like, yes, I love hypocrites. Also, could go down the other road of, well, uh, depending on where this goes, it might be pointed out that, that we all have some area of hypocrisy in our life. We do our best as people of God to give our word to things, to live according to God's word, But we know, if we're being honest and if we are realistic, we know that we are not perfect. And so there is hypocrisy in the grace and love that we receive from God that we don't always show it to its fullest. There are times that we're going to mess up. We're not going to always get it right. We thank God that God does not judge us according to our sins, but that we know grace, and yet we sometimes will catching ourselves judging others. So maybe as an act of self-love, we want to say, yes, I do love hypocrites. That aside, I'm not one into getting people into trick questions or making you choose a side ahead of time because I just hate being in any kind of setting where there feels like a lot of pressure on if I get the right answer or not. But one thing is true. We do love hypocrites as we do love ourselves and show grace to ourselves even when we don't get it right. And also, that that there is a little bit of a disconnect between the way Jesus uses the word hypocrite and the way we use it. Now, when we use the word hypocrite, there is a lot of weight and baggage attached to it. Because when we think hypocrite, our tendency in our culture is to think of someone who's on a perceived moral high ground, and I say perceived, it might not be real, a perceived moral high ground kind of looking down at everyone else. That is often what we think of as hypocrisy, someone who thinks of themselves higher and is looking down at everyone else. It's a charged word. It has layers of meaning to it. 
Now, Jesus does use the word hypocrite repeatedly throughout the Gospels, and, and even in our text here, every single pillar of piety, prayer, almsgiving, and fasting that is mentioned here, Jesus attaches an example of what a hypocrite would be. But the word wasn't quite as charged as it is to us as it was then, but it still is a negative connotation. The word for hypocrite in Greek, the New Testament was, was transmitted to us in Greek. The word in Greek in its most literal sense means actor. Actor. Someone who pretends to be someone else. Now, Jesus is using this negatively. It's not, it's not meant to be a good thing to be an actor. But what he's getting at is it's a pretending. It is a matter of pretending that whenever, whenever we're putting on a display, when we're putting on a display of these things that we're doing, whether it be almsgiving, which is like tithing or prayer or fasting, when we do it as an actor, we're just pretending. And maybe, maybe one other angle of this that, that Jesus is using to capture people's attention, to be a good teacher, to tie it all together is this. What do actors do? They play for the crowd. An actor performs for the crowd. And in Jesus' day especially, how, how well they played to the crowd would probably affect their livelihood. And so an actor has to play to the crowd. Jesus' whole push on all of these, these, these three things, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, the, the pillars of Jewish religious practice, what he's saying is don't do these in such a way that you're just playing to the crowd. Because you can do that, sure. But what Jesus is clear about in every example is that if you play for the crowd, you'll get exactly what you're looking for. You will get the response, you will get the attention, and your attention-seeking behavior will be its own reward to you. But rather, keep doing these things, but don't do them to play for the crowd. They all matter. Now, just as hypocrisy is a word that we maybe charge up a little bit in a negative sense, even more negative than how Jesus is getting at it, well, he's saying, hey, don't, don't be a pretender. The other word that I would use as we get closer to Lent is piety. Piety or pious is not a word that we hold up as, as necessarily a good thing. Often it's used as a negative connotation of, of religiously fake people. But Jesus is not calling anyone to abandon acts of piety or a pursuit of piety or being pious, which essentially is a pursuit of holy living, lived out through religious ways. When it comes to giving and praying and fasting, Jesus does not speak if we do these things. He says when you do these things. Jesus is not casting aside all of the religious practices of piety in the Old Testament. He says when you pray, when you fast, when you give, these things will continue. As we think about Lent, it's not just what we do. It is how we do it. Are we doing it to play to the crowd? Are we sharing as publicly as we possibly can what we'll give up for Lent on social media? Because, you know, a lot of likes makes us feel like we're doing a really good job at Lent. 
Or are we doing this to pursue holiness with God? Acts of piety, but not piety for itself to be on display as an actor playing to the crowd, but as someone who is aware that we have growth and maturity always. Now, pious acts, acts for Lent, whether we fast from something or take on a a spiritual practice, these are all good things, but they're different from New Year's resolutions. And honestly, it's February. Most of our New Year's resolutions are like long gone by now. We've given up or forgotten even what we said we were going to do like a month ago. Maybe you're better than me. But Lent is not about self-improvement. Fasting is is not a, a diet plan so much as it should be something that brings us towards God. Now, sometimes there might be self-improvement, but that's the fringe benefit. It's not the center that we're after. It's not the reason that we we set aside 40 days and six Sundays in the year. It's not for us. We benefit from it, but it is a time to focus and pursue God and maybe to pay attention to the areas in our lives that are just a little bit off. Jesus says, when you do these things, When Jesus talks about fasting, he's talking about giving up food. There's different ways that people do fast, different suggestions that that even after service, as we discuss, maybe as we think through what we might like to do, um, there's different options for that. Jesus talked about just giving up food for a time to make you realize how much you depend on food, as we all do, that we share that same dependency with God. Jesus says, when we pray. And when we pray, there should be something committed and sacrificial about it. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. So we might think that we can just live a lifestyle of prayer as as we could and should. But Lent might be the time where we take some small commitment towards prayer. Because maybe we don't pray without ceasing. We are an easily distracted people at large, not pointing any fingers here, just saying at large, our attention spans are getting harder and harder to hold. The easiest way you can see this is in advertising. We need to be bombarded and very concisely told in a short amount of time what it is that we need because our attention spans are not getting longer or greater. They're getting shorter and our focus is less. Maybe for Lent, it could be a practice just of setting the timer for five minutes. Five minutes of uninterrupted prayer. And that might not sound like a lot. That might not even sound like a Lenten practice. But maybe it's the start that we need to be more attentive to prayer. And maybe just those five minutes will point out to us how easily distracted we are. That five minutes of undivided prayer might actually be difficult. So we set the timer. Maybe it's a matter of of giving a little bit of something or maybe trying out some small fast. And and one thing that can maybe be intimidating about Lent is, as we just read today, Jesus is saying, don't do this to draw attention to yourselves. But we do need accountability. We need support. We are the communion of saints, the community of faith. And I would just offer that as you maybe think about what would be good to do during Lent, that there is a difference between putting on display what you're doing for Lent and simply telling someone that you trust 
this is what I'm going to do for Lent. Can you check in with me once a week to make sure I'm still on track? Not out of shame or guilt, but just so that you will be motivated by knowing that someone is going to ask you what you're doing for Lent. Now, you don't have to do that. This is all optional, although Jesus does say when, not if. But what we do this season is really between you and God. But what it also means is that what you get out of Lent is what you put into it. Like anything else that we care about in life, what we put into it is what we will get out of it. So to choose something and to share it with someone that you trust who will just keep you on track. I know that if I confided in Dolores Hopp or Phyla Essenberg, just because you're right in my line of sight, thank you, um, said, hey, this is what I'm doing for Lent. Every Wednesday morning, can you just give me a call, see how I'm doing? I know that Wednesday morning call would be motivation for me. It's not that I'm doing it for Dolores and Phyla or even for myself, but it is to know that if I've made a commitment before God, sometimes we need motivation to follow along with it. Now, Bible reading might be one thing that we think, this seems like Jesus missed something here. But keeping in mind, when Jesus said these words about prayer, giving, and fasting, there were not printed Bibles that were available. And even if there were, the majority of the population was still illiterate. So we might take up Bible reading or an act of service as part of Lent, take something on as much as it is to give something up. And it might just be, I'm going to read one chapter a day. Might not seem like much. Maybe you're already doing that and you want to take a little bit more. But we have to start somewhere because none of us run a marathon without any training. Just jump out and start going. I guess you could try, but I I hear that you would get very sick if you did. And it would not go well for you. Lent is a time to prepare And preparing looks a little bit like training, where there's sacrifice, there's commitment, and all done for the right reasons. Not acting, not trying to put on a show, but to train ourselves. And to maybe wonder in authenticity if there's sometimes a disconnect between our public self, the persona that people know, our private self, who people know us to be if they're really close to us, and maybe the secret self, things that that we hold on to pretty deeply, pretty tightly, that maybe Lent is not the time to say, you know what, I know who I am, my private self, I'm just going to be that person everywhere, if you like it or not, here's who I am. That can be a statement of immaturity, because we all have growth, we all have gains in maturity that can be made. Also is not to say that we won't sell ourselves short in any way of what we might practice but to take one step, five minutes of prayer, a chapter of our Bible reading, committing to one type of volunteering or giving, starting out something small, but committing to it well, whether it be with these pillars of of Jewish piety that Jesus talks about, prayer, almsgiving, and fasting, but knowing that whatever it is that we choose to do, that we do it for the right reasons. As Proverbs 16.2 says, all of a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And similarly, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 
talks a fair amount about judgment and motive and says that God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Our motives are set before God just as our practice is set before God. Which may be just the, the application piece of making sure that we're not acting or that we're not just taking on something that's, that's easy, that there's no commitment or sacrifice, is to observe the sheer genius of prayer, giving, and fasting, the three pillars of Jewish piety, of Jewish religious practice. They all get into the areas of our lives that we would be tempted to guard. Consider the hypocrisy, the disconnect, the acting, in a statement such as this. I, everything I have is God's, except for my money. Or maybe everything I have is God's, except for my body, that's mine. Or everything I have is God's except for my time. That all belongs to me. The reason that prayer, almsgiving, and fasting were the three central pillars of Jewish religious practice is they get at the three things that we guard the most. Our time, our money, and what we do in our, with our bodies. And so it might be the reminder that we need during Lent to give something that requires time. It reminds us that every moment that we have belongs to God. And that maybe sometimes we're not recognizing that as much as we should. Maybe some type of sacrificial giving reminds us that all that we have materially and monetarily belongs to God, even if we don't live with that mindset in front of us. And that fasting, whatever it is that we might practice in a healthy way, reminds us that our bodies belong to God and the food that we need to survive is a gift from God. This is to affirm the words of the psalmist, it is he who made us and we are his. And so as we hear from Jesus that, that these are the things that we do, not when, not if, but when, maybe pay attention in your heart or in your conversation or ask someone who knows you well, what might you be most resistant to giving up? What's the thing that you have the hardest time parting with? That that might be the area that God would encourage us most to spend time to give some small commitment of in Lent. We'll spend two more weeks talking about how we can do Lent well. And even offer suggestions, pull something out of a hat and say, ugh, I don't want to do that. That might tell you, it might be the exact thing that you need to do. But to offer suggestions, to be people who pray together, who fast together for committed purposes, who give together, but that we do all of these things with the mindset that we belong to God. To do these things not for, not for our own pat on the back, but for our own growth, for our own well-being and to be more like Jesus to observe the areas in our lives where there is still maturity to be lived into, there's still growth to be pursued. All of this we do to come to know Jesus better. And the whole reason that we either give something up or take something on throughout the season of Lent is to participate in sacrifice. What we put into it will make that Easter morning that much sweeter after time of sacrifice and commitment. 
So whether it be in your life group or maybe joining a life group, whether it be with a trusted friend or even just in your own time this week, start to think about how could you do Lent this year in a way that's for God, in a way that gets at the corners of your soul, the things that we hold on to the tightest, not if, but when. Let's pray. God, in all that we say and think and do, help us not to act or put on a show, but live sincerely into the hope that you have given us, to live into the calling that you have offered to us to be your people, to be your ambassadors, to hold up the mirror to our lives and observe maybe the areas that we're holding on to tightest and to instead pursue your will for us, to have a taste of participation in the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, help us. Not if we do these things, but when we do them. And when we do them, allow us to do them for the right reasons, that it may be for your glory and for our deepening understanding of who you are and your great love for us. And that in you there is no condemnation, there is no shame, but there is ongoing growth and learning of your goodness and your intent and will for our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.